from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, are Chinese officials attempting to hide the seriousness of the coronavirus in China from the international community? Video coming out of Wuhan over the weekend shows officials going door-to-door, forcibly removing those suspected of having the coronavirus or being exposed to it. Now, what do the Chinese not want us to know? Well, Gordon Chang, Asian expert and author of The Coming Collapse of China, is here in just a moment. And how is the U.S. responding to those coming into the U.S. from China that might have been exposed to the deadly virus? Acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security Ken Cuccinelli joins us on that story. We'll also talk about what the media is refusing to report on how the Trump administration's policy are working at the border. We'll talk with Ken Cuccinelli about that as well. And good news out of the state of Florida. After an outcry from parents, students, and others, Fifth Third Bank chose to stand with the children in the state scholarship program rather than the intolerant cultural bullies. Fifth Third reversed its decision to cut off funds to the state tax credit scholarship program for uh, low-income students. Commissioner Richard Corcoran with the Florida Education Commission is here with that. A little bit later. And Travis Weber and David Clawson will join me in the studio to break down today's top stories. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T Perkins. All right, what is going on in China with the coronavirus? Do we have the full picture? There have uh, only been a handful of diagnosed uh, patients here in the United States with the virus, but China has quarantined an estimated 50 million people in Wuhan. Now, video out of uh, that area over the weekend uh, revealed that government officials were forcibly removing people from their homes who had the virus or were suspected to have the virus. Now, are the Chinese accurately reporting the seriousness of this virus? Joining me now to talk about it is expert on Chinese relations, columnist and author of The Coming Collapse of China, Gordon Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, by the way, folks, let me just put out uh, Gordon's, uh, if you'd like to reach out to Gordon on his Twitter, it's at Gordon G. Chang, Gordon G. Chang at on Twitter. All right. Um, so what is happening? Are we getting a full picture, Gordon, or are the Chinese kind of trying to downplay the seriousness of this threat? Well, the Chinese government is certainly downplaying the seriousness, seriousness of the threat, also the number of infections and deaths. And there's two reasons for that, Tony. First of all, there's deliberate falsification. Also, in certain parts of China, especially around Wuhan, I think that uh, essentially the government is in a, almost in a state of collapse. Um, you know, we have seen uh, those video images of corpses lying on, on um, uh, hospital floors, people collapsing in the street. Um, they're cremating hundreds of bodies a day, and that means, I think, that they're much more concerned about clearing the dead than they are about keeping accurate statistics. So there's that as well. But, you know, the numbers that have come out from Beijing just don't uh, really are, are not consistent with what we know uh, from other sources. So i got to say that when they talk about less than 1,000 dead, uh, you've got to at least multiply that by two or three. Now, Gordon, over the weekend, I was uh, talking with some individuals that um, work on international issues. I'll leave it at that, that the the Chinese, because of their firewalls on the Internet and and 
trying to contain information, that it's very hard for people to communicate outside. It's certainly hard to get information into China. And, uh, you know, the United States has offered to go into help. Uh, but I, to, to my knowledge thus far, the Chinese have refused the aid of the United States in, in, as it pertains to our for CDC and other experts to come in and assist. Yes. Well, uh, experts from the Centers for Disease Control and Protection, um, they have not gone into China yet. Now, China has tentatively agreed to a couple of CDC experts to go in with a World Health Organization group that is going to be there for a few days. Now, that certainly is not sufficient. But the CDC uh, and the Trump administration have offered to help going back to about early December. Uh, sorry, uh, middle of December, um, when it was clear that cases were being diagnosed of a new type of coronavirus Beijing has refused, and that has led to people both inside and outside China wondering what is Beijing hiding. Many people suspect that this coronavirus escaped from a P4, that's the highest level biosecurity lab, which is located about 20 miles south of Wuhan. So you're suggesting this was an engineered virus? There's a possibility of that. We really don't know a lot about this virus, including where it came from. Beijing has been um, obfuscating this. And I think that essentially there are questions. Now, many probably it'll be just a natural mutation of something that's been around. But we don't know that yet, Tony. And the way that the Chinese government has handled it has raised uh, the possibility that they are trying to hide a uh, accidental release from that uh, P4 lab. Now, now, Gordon, you said that they're not able to the, to handle the response to this. Is that because they don't have the capacity, or the, 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 the they're overwhelmed by what's happening, or they simply are? You know, the communist government just doesn't have the infrastructure. They were overwhelmed in the beginning, um, and that's largely because um, the local Wuhan officials weren't really permitted to um, uh, start a determined response to the disease because they needed instructions from the higher-ups. And we know that because the Wuhan mayor publicly said that in January. Now, I think that at this point, um, we're starting to see um, Beijing send in a lot of uh, Chinese military help. Um, so they probably are getting their hands around it, but still they've got a long way to go because the number of deaths per day in Wuhan is probably numbers in the hundreds. So, Gordon, what about this uh, video that uh, has made its way out of China showing uh, individuals being forcibly removed from their homes and apparently taken to facilities where they're being uh, you know, quarantined? Um, I'm sure those videos um, are accurate, um, and it shows the lack of trust on the part of the Chinese people um, to um, government officials. You know, normally in a situation like this, you need the cooperation of people. But social cohesion has dissolved for a number of reasons, including the secrecy of the Chinese government and the suppression of information that has led to all sorts of wild rumors that have circulated around China, including about the origin, about whether this was uh, released from the lab. So I think people right now are resisting government efforts, and that is a bad sign because you need the help of people in order to end the disease as quickly as possible.
You know, that was my that was my thought when I was watching this and reading some of these reports that did make their way out of the country, that there is no trust in the government. And when you can't trust your government, people were running from these government of, uh, figures. Of course, they were coming and dragging them out of their houses. So I can certainly understand that. But my question is, where do they where are they taking them and why are people afraid? Um, because, you know, given the history of China and the way they see human life is so disposable and putting them in, uh, you know, the we've, we've got uh, the Uyghurs, obviously another part of China, but China doesn't have a good human rights record. It's not like they're taking away to care for them. That's absolutely right, Tony. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, have seen the way that the, the uh, local government and Beijing has handled this and think that they can do better on their own. Also, there's this question of dignity. Many people would rather just die alone. And so, um, therefore, they are resisting efforts. They just do not want to go into what they actually might see as a place where they'll never get out. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of uh, reasons for because there are a lot of these videos right now. And so we can assume that there are many people resisting government efforts. But I think motivation basically boils down to a failure of uh, trust in the government. And that's understandable in these circumstances because local and central governments have operated very, very poorly in this case. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, broadcasting uh, from Washington, D.C. On the line with me, Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of uh, China. You can reach him at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, there's a bigger issue here in terms of, I mean, obviously this is an important issue, a a spread of a virus that is uh, deadly. What could be the bigger ramifications here for China? Already a fragile economy, um, you know they 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 they're vulnerable. What what could what could be the bigger effect of this spread in China? You can't rule out any scenario, Tony. So a complete failure of the Chinese government is one of the things that could happen. Um, there are indications that the Chinese economy, because of this virus, is now contracting. Um, they're reporting that the oil demand in China now is down twenty percent from this time last year. The Chinese economy was already fragile. Um, there were reports basically that Beijing was growing maybe 2 3%, about the same rate as the U.S. economy, not at the 6.1% pace that they claimed for last year. There were a number of defaults in China last year, and that was worrying. And this has really pushed the Chinese economy into the red, largely because you have, for instance, factories shut people not buying, not consuming in many parts of China. Also, a cancellation of many trips that foreigners were going to make for a convention and other things. And the Canton Fair, um, which is scheduled for April, was canceled a week ago, indicating that the Chinese government thinks that this is not going to be um, over until late spring, um, perhaps early summer. What could be the ripple effect beyond China then to that region of the world and beyond? Well, we're seeing a disruption of supply of parts. So, for instance, Hyundai, uh, the South Korean conglomerate, closed its South Korean car factories because they couldn't get parts from China. And I think that probably other businesses are going to experience similar disruptions, maybe not as severe as Hyundai's. But this, especially if this disease goes on for quite some time, then uh, we are going to see the global supply chains um, running short of parts. 
Um, got to remember, for instance, that Apple um, has most of its um, uh, products manufactured at a couple factories inside China by a contract manufacturer named Foxconn. Um, we know that one of those places where the iPhone is manufactured is now under a sort of a semi-lockdown, and that means that Foxconn may not have its plants up and running, especially at full capacity. Um, so there will be ripple effects. We saw um, concern about the coronavirus take uh, 600 points off the stock market a week ago. And also um, last week, there were uh, declines in the Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average that were attributed to the coronavirus. So this will be felt here. It probably won't be as bad as the stock market thinks. But nonetheless, with China integrated in supply chains, it will have uh, some negative implication for us. Certainly a lot to keep our eye on uh, from a health standpoint, economic standpoint, and even from a national security standpoint uh, as more information becomes available. Gordon Chang, as always, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for making time for us. Oh, well, thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, Gordon Chang, at Gordon G. Chang on uh, Twitter. All right, when we come back, how is the United States responding to those coming into the U.S. from China? We'll talk with the uh, acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. We'll also talk with him about how the Trump policies on the border are actually working. You know, the crisis we had uh, maybe a little over, not quite a year ago. You don't hear it anymore. You don't hear how the Trump policies are actually working and how they made it work. We're going to talk about it with Ken Cuccinelli next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemicalabortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. 
For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to uh, to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it's at T Perkins. All right, we were just talking with Gordon Chang about how the Chinese are handling the coronavirus. Not so good. How about the United States? We'll also talk about uh, how border apprehensions have declined for eight consecutive months because migrants know they can't just cross the border anymore under the policies of the Trump administration. Joining me now to talk about uh, all of this is the acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, good to be with you. All right. Uh, I know you guys got your hands full over there. We had Secretary Wolf on uh, last week. Uh, but first, let me, let me ask you about this coronavirus. What is the United States doing to, uh, to protect its citizens from uh, this influx of uh, those that might be contaminated with the virus? So we're doing a, a number of different things at once. The president has made it very clear that he wants us to keep a forward-leaning posture, by which I mean if we err at all, we want to err on the side of being more cautious rather than less cautious. And so what you're seeing happen around the country is, first of all, our medical professionals, and we have the best in the world at CDC and their partners, have already developed testing to identify the virus. They've shipped it out to all 50 states, and frankly, they've shipped it out around the world to help everybody else in the world deal with this as well. And that's in only about five or six weeks from the from knowing of the existence of this new virus in humans on Earth. It literally didn't exist before then. So that is a uh, that is a record. Um, at the same time, the president has um, essentially cut off uh, travel to the United States for non-Americans who've been in China in the previous two weeks to their travel. And uh, the reason for that is that the center of this uh, coronavirus epidemic is in a province in China called the Hubei province, south of Beijing on a map. And it continues to be uh, the only province that it's really out of control with the virus. But the numbers of cases do continue to increase. So as a precaution, um, the president cut off uh travel for folks, again, non-Americans, who have been in China uh, in the last two weeks. If you're an American or a legal permanent resident, you can still travel to the United States, but uh, if you've been in the Hubei province, uh, you're, you're expected to be quarantined nearby one of the 11 airports at which we now funnel all these China passengers, and by that I simply mean people coming from China, uh, to, uh, or if you've been anywhere else in China, you're expected to quarantine yourself in your home for two weeks. And while all that is going on, the whole U.S. government enterprise is, is, is 
you know, pulling out our pandemic plans and saying, what are all the things we have planned for um, and as a possibility? And the risk right now is low to the United States, to Americans. So this is the time to do a little bit of scenario planning and to determine what might happen and what we would need to do to respond. And that's what the president has asked us to do. And that's what you see across the government right now. Well, before we move on to our next topic, which is a story that's not been talked about very, very much, and that's the success at the border, I do want to ask this. What, if any, steps should the average American take as it, uh, especially those that travel? I mean, those that, uh, you know, stay in uh, north, northwest uh, Iowa or, you know, stay at home in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. not going to have to worry about it too much. But those that travel, what, what steps should they take? Well, first of all, for everybody, the, the symptoms are flu-like. And the and the the best safeguards are what you do with the flu: frequent hand washing, um, keeping distance um, from folks who are sick, and if you're sick, staying at home. Um, for those who travel, um, one of the challenges is you don't know if you're coming across people who've been in China in the last two weeks. You don't know if um, if you're coming across people who themselves have come across other people who have been in China in the last couple of weeks as the virus tries to spread through through humans. So, um, you know, there is a uh, there, there is a heightened risk if you travel outside the United States, depending on where you go. Um, there are parts of the world that don't have a great healthcare system. And, you know, you probably watch Tony as the State Department raised the travel advisory gradually in China. And it's worth noting that part of the reason they raised it wasn't just the virus, but if you were in Hubei province or if you were nearby Hubei province, even if you didn't get the disease, if you had a car accident, there were no doctors to take care of you. They were all occupied dealing with the virus. So, when you get those kinds of case numbers, other parts of the society start to break down. I don't mean right. come apart, but they become unavailable. And it's that sort of overwhelming of the system that we're working to avoid. And, and frankly, it's a good time not to travel. Uh, you've probably seen some of the news of folks in some of the cruise ships. Uh, right. You know, bad luck on the timing. But, um, uh, you know, that the, that's a real that is a real danger, though it's not a, an enormous one if you're not going to China or Southeast Asia. Let me uh, let me shift gears here to uh, the president last week's State of Union address. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a quote. I don't have time to really play the clip. But he said, before I came to office, if you showed up illegally on our southern border and were arrested, you were simply released and allowed into our country, never to be seen again. My administration has ended catch and release. If you come illegally, you will now be promptly removed from our country. You know, the surge at the border has ended. Some new policies put in place are actually working. Yeah, there's no question. Um, the president has been very forceful in uh, in his leadership in this area, and and it's paid off. Look, he is he's done wonders with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, um, and our other allies in the region. But we've never had better partnerships with them. I mean, we, we get more uh, more help and support from Mexico today than we do from Congress, and the result is eight months of declining illegal immigration at our southern border that won't keep up forever but we've dramatically improved the situation for our security and in cutting back on illegal immigration but we still have more to do 
Um, Kim, you hear that music? We're up against a break. I, I don't know how. Uh, can you stay over f- for a couple of minutes or you need to go? I think I'm actually doing another show, I'm afraid to say. Okay. Well, we'll get you back on talk because this, this is, Glad I've to. been to the border. I've seen this. I've seen what's happened as a result of the president working with Mexico, Mexican troops guarding the southern border or their northern border, our southern border. It's working. People need it to is know working. that. It is working. All right. We're going to get you back on to talk more about that. Don't go away, folks. We're coming back. Listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad that you have joined us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, last week, we had uh, Florida Senator Marco Rubio on the program talking about how a number of big corporations had been commandeered by LGBTQ activists to try and sink the state's successful education scholarship tax credit program. Now, this benefits hundreds of mostly low income students providing them with an opportunity to get out of failing schools and, and go to private schools. Now, among uh, these private schools are a number of Christian schools, which, surprise, surprise, happen to believe the Bible as it pertains to life, human sexuality, a whole host of things. Now, that put the activist in high gear. However, after hearing from parents and the, uh, the much broader community, of Florida, Fifth Third Bank has restored its donations to Florida's scholarship program. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis praised the reversal and stated, quote, the tax credit scholarship program provides educational opportunities to more than 100,000 low-income families in Florida, end quote. Now, while uh, Fifth Third has reversed its decision, uh, Wells Fargo continues to cut off its funding. Joining me now to talk uh, more about this is uh, Florida Education Commissioner Roger uh, Corcoran. Roger, uh, Richard, I'm sorry. Richard, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right, um, Commissioner, let's talk about the significance of Fifth Third restoring their funding to this program. How significant is that? It's, uh, it is overwhelmingly significant because what you have is the first co- uh, corporation who gets swept up with literally little or no facts and pulls out of the program, then immediately does a lot of research into well, who's benefiting from the program, how long has the program been in existence, what cases of uh, any kind of discrimination are out there, and after doing that research, immediately come back into the program. And I think it sends a message to all of the other corporations, do your research, look into it, see the benefit of this great program, and, and don't get swept up by fake news. Yeah, I, I think that clearly in this case, uh, Commissioner Corcoran, you had the facts on your side. I mean, this this was aiding thousands of low-income students, giving them an opportunity to get a, a good education and succeed. And is that not the point of education? Exactly. And, and you said it in your intro, uh, Tony, the, the whole program 
uh, we have a great governor. We've had great governors, but this particular governor, what he cares about is teaching the heck out of all these kids. Let's get them a world-class education. And and so you have this program that literally in a whirlwind of 10, 14 days is under assault for no reason. And what, you know, with the fifth thirds reversing their position. But even before that, what happened was numerous Democrat and Republican members, uh, minority uh, Republicans, uh, uh, African-American Republicans, African-American Democrats, all of them coming in defense of the program saying, stop, this is a program that benefits over 100,000, 100 percent of the kids are uh, low income, 70 percent are minority, and the results are staggering. The kids that go into this program, it's, you know, done by uh, numerous studies, um, have shown that it's not just 1%, 4%, 14%, 40% of the kids who are in this program for three years are more likely to go to college and complete college. That's transformational for these kids. Well, not only for the kids, it has a true, I mean, obviously for them it's huge, but it benefits all of society. When you have these kids succeeding, everybody benefits from it, employers. I mean, and that helps the state because that attracts more businesses to come to Florida because you have an educated workforce. Absolutely. And, you know, we say that all the time. You know, the purpose of an education, what is it? It's not to get a job. The purpose of an education is to raise up and give a world-class education to help these kids think outside the box, wrestle with the great questions of life, and become great citizens. If they're great citizens and they're willing to work hard and they're humble and they have a great education, they'll have a job. But we need them to go out there and be members of a community, strong marriages, uh, strong uh, parents, all of those things. That's what comes from an education. Well, Commissioner, it it appears, and I know Governor DeSantis from when he was in Congress, but this is the same approach that uh, President Trump has said, where he defends religious freedom, because in many ways this was an attack on religious institutions, wanting them to jettison their religious beliefs uh, by a small group of activists. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the problem. You know, if you're going to allow people to attack educational choice programs where the money goes to the parents, it doesn't go to a school or an institution. It goes to a parent who wants to make the best possible decision for their child. And you're going to allow them to attack those programs and dictate to the institutions they're going to what they can and cannot believe. It is the type of government intrusion that would destroy religious freedom in our country. We're not going to do that ever. That's not going to happen. Well, and uh, Commissioner uh, Richard uh, Corcoran, this is, in my view, this is what happens when parents and citizens stand up and say, no, we're not going to let this happen. And so I commend you and uh, in the leadership of Florida and the parents and the children who stood up and said, no, we're not going to be silent in the face of these uh, intolerant uh, bullies. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. All right. uh, Commissioner Richard Corcoran with the uh, Florida Education Commission. A success story there, parents, uh, shows what can happen when you get involved. And, and, and we've got to push back. We can't be silent on the sidelines. And I'm grateful for people like Commissioner Corcoran and, and others who are out there advocating for the rights of all people, including people of faith. All right. Don't go away because there's, uh, there's more Washington Watch to come. A lot of stories today. And uh, joining me in studio in our next segment, Travis Weber and uh, David Clausen. We're going to break down the stories from today. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go anywhere.
In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy and the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion. China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website TonyPerkins.com. All right, folks, if you've ever thought about going to Israel, well, let me tell you who you can go with. You can go with uh, General Boykin, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, and myself as we head to Israel June the 2nd through the 12th. It is the FRC Israel tour, and it's unlike any other tour that you'll take. Not only do we take in the biblical and historical sites, but we uh, mix in the present-day geopolitical environment. So you get to see how all of this kind of fits together. And it's quite amazing because we'll take you places that uh, others would not because we think it's important, it's relevant. And uh, anyway, to find out more how you can be a part of that, go to TonyPerkins.com. And uh, at the banner at the top, you'll see the Holy Land Tour. Click on it, and we'll get the information to you. All right. In the previous segment, we were talking about the importance of school choice and what was happening um, in Florida and how Fifth Third State Bank reversed itself, restoring funding to this uh, tax credit program. Now, the, the way this program, I didn't go into the details on it, I talked about it last week, but how the program works is that these businesses can get a tax credit when they uh, give money to this program. In many states have it. There's probably about close to 20 states that have this. I worked on something like this when I was in the legislature in Louisiana, and it's uh, just a way to encourage these uh, businesses and in some cases individuals to give money they get a tax deduction um, there's different uh, different um, 
not every program is the same. Some allow for a total tax deduction. Some allow you to direct your tax liability into this fund, a certain percentage of it. So they work different ways. But the, the, the idea is the same. It is to create a scholarship fund for qualified individuals, mostly low-income students who are trapped in failing public schools, government schools, indoctrination centers uh, that are not teaching them the basics. And their test scores are showing it. We've talked about that, how reading and math, the test scores are declining despite billions of dollars going into public education. So Knowing how important education is in terms of being successful in life, many state policymakers have created these programs that give parents a choice in sending their kids to private schools. Well, what's happened is that, uh, and this is somewhat theory, but not completely, I've seen evidence of it, that you see the anti-choice education conglomerate, if you will. It's a strong public lobby. They want to protect public education. Now, for some different reasons, some want to protect their turf. Others want to make sure that, uh, and this is not all, but there's some that want to make sure that they're able to indoctrinate the kids in the public schools. And then there are the new additions to this, the LGBTQ community that is hostile toward children being exposed to a biblical worldview in Christian schools. And that's what happened in Florida. They commandeered uh, Wells Fargo, which is a, which quite frankly, Wells Fargo is a, is complicit in the LGBT agenda. You, they've got a long, long track record of being horrible. So if you are looking for an institution to do financial business with, look elsewhere than Wells Fargo. Fifth Third Bank, um, also joining up and saying, we're not going to give money. And I think they gave somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million uh, to this education program, equivalent to the education of about 700 students. And so public pressure, parents, students, and others, uh, weighed in and Fifth Third reversed course, saying, all right, Enough. We're going to continue the program. We understand we reacted uh, too swiftly without viewing all the facts. Joining me now to talk more about this, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council, and uh, David Clawson uh, with our Biblical Worldview Center. David, Travis, welcome. Thank you. All right. Uh, so good news, Travis, out of Florida. Good news, Tony. Um, yeah, this is a example of a win for religious liberty, an example where there is pushback against those who would force um, entities, businesses, others out of the public square and intimidate them from backing down and uh, uh, intimidate them from, from standing with religious freedom, standing with the ability to uh, have schools that operate according to religious tenets, religious convictions, and ultimately allow parents to send their children and children to go to schools that they wish to go to uh, as best suited for their educational needs, for the best education they can get. So really, this is uh, something to to take note of and for uh, Christians in America to to observe um, in terms of in terms of the need to stand with those uh, who are also standing for religious freedom in the public square. David Clawson, uh, as director of our Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview Center, God gives parents the responsibility and the authority to educate their children. School choice 
facilitates that. It does, and I'll just back up real quick and say, you know, this program has been a massive success in Florida. It was established in 2001, and I'm from Orlando. I did all my uh, schooling in the Orlando area, and the last couple years of high school, I went to a private Christian school, and I actually had classmates that were there with me because of this program, that their parents were able to make the decision to send their kids to schools that had the same commitments and beliefs at the school that I was able to go to. Uh, so absolutely, this this program uh, benefits Christian parents, and it's just, it's almost, you know, this is a fake outrage. Uh, you have members of the media, you know, it was the Orlando Sentinel, and in Orlando, conservatives call it the Orlando Slantinel because of its liberal bias. You know, they released this bombshell report about these schools with anti-LGBT policies when they're just really schools with Christian beliefs. They, 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 those, and they've had those beliefs forever. Oh, absolutely. They were, they were founded on those beliefs, but you have this so-called explosive report that you know, kids can't go to these schools because of these bigotry, this anti-LGBT policy or whatnot. And then you have just two, only two uh, activist lawmakers trying to make a big stink of this. And again, it, it's amazing to see the bipartisan support for this program. But uh, I'm going to stop you at that point because I think, folks, you need to understand this: how the media is not is no longer reporting the news; they are facilitating. An activist left-wing agenda, and and this is this is true almost across the board. You know, I generally I try not to paint with a broad brush, but I am telling you the media today is has become a part of the opposition party when it comes to conservative biblical principles. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Tony. Um, and I was just going to say, you know, it's amazing to see the bipartisan support for this program. Uh, you have m- Democrats in the state house and Senate uh, coming and saying, actually, we support this because it's minority students. I think 70% of the recipients, they're all low income, but 70% are minority students uh, who are able to go to schools because of this program. But I will say this is a wake-up call for Christian schools and Christian institutions uh, that they need to be very clear where they stand. Uh, they need to make sure that they have statement of faith that clearly outline where they stand on marriage and human sexuality. They need to make sure their admission policies, their handbook policies are just explicit on where they stand on marriage and human sexuality uh, because the media and these activists are coming for schools with these uh, Christian convictions. Well, and it should also be a wake-up call to parents so that they understand what is going on here and what is at stake and that... And I want to go back to my introductory uh, comments when I brought you in the program, is that God has given parents the authority and the responsibility to teach their children. Now, parents can delegate the authority. They can, they can give it to a private school. They can give it to a public school. But they cannot delegate the responsibility. God will hold you as a parent accountable for what your children are exposed to. And as we see across the country today, this massive indoctrination that is taking place with an anti-biblical worldview, especially where it comes to human sexuality. Of course, it's also on creation and all that, but that just paved the way for this radical agenda that says you can define your own sexuality. God didn't create you and make you. You are defining yourself as to who you will be. I I can't think of anything that's more rebellious and denying the authority of God than that. 
That's well said, Tony. And, you know, uh, the scripture that you refer to, it's in the book of Deuteronomy, which was written 3,000 years ago. And uh, God wanted uh, Moses to relay to the Israelite parents right after they had come out of the Exodus uh, that it was the responsibility of parents to teach the law of God to their children when they rise up and when they lie down, when they go out, when they come home, they should constantly be taught, uh, being taught the word of God. So absolutely, it is the parents' responsibility. And Christian parents, they absolutely absolutely uh, have a responsibility to teach their children, make sure their children are getting a good education. Now, Travis, this is not isolated to Florida. We're seeing this elsewhere. It's not isolated to Florida. Uh, the Supreme Court is is uh, just heard oral, oral argument in the case dealing with um, uh, ultimately public money flowing to private schools. Uh, we're going to get a decision before next June. These cases are popping up elsewhere. The issue is going to affect um, state programming elsewhere. And it's not limited to schools and school choice. Uh, when we talk about the uh, the the invasion of um, or the breakdown of parental rights, the attack on parental rights, uh, Tony. The um, uh, it's not just that parents in some cases are are being um, perhaps too lax about their responsibility to raise their children, but there's also an attack against that authority and a deliberate assault against the family because there there are forces that want to come between the parent and the child. Uh, and in a host of areas, we see this in, in the um, attack through the sex ed programming public schools. Right. Sex ed programming is an attack on the ideas that are that the its proponents, the radical sex ed's proponents, often know that Christian and other parents teach their children about sexuality, and they want to get between the parent and child. Right. This is national. This is a problem. This, yeah, the, the, nothing gets me going more than this, and, and because as a father of five children. Now, full disclosure, my wife um, and I chose to homeschool our children, and we have homeschooled four of the five. The one is still in the pipeline. Um, but I can tell you, I, I, it was made a world of difference for, for my children not to be exposed to the, the peer pressure and as well as the, the negative influences of, of the public schools. Now, that said, I understand not every parent has the ability to do that, but there are so many options available today. But at a minimum, you need to be involved and informed as to what your children are being exposed to and if it is something that runs counter to what you know to be true and to be right, stand up. I mean, what we saw here in Florida is actually very encouraging that parents, uh, pastors, churches, political figures stood up and pushed back against Fifth Third, the uh, Sentinel and, and the, the advocates down there trying to sink this program. But look, you talk about what they're trying to do is get between parent and child. I see this if, if there was a, a bear. And you know, we do a lot of hunt, a lot of camping. We do hunting too, but a lot of camping as a family. And I, the last thing I'm going to let happen is is a, is a bear to become come between me and my child. I'm going to stand between that bear and my child, and that's what this education system is doing. It's it's it is a danger to our children, and we need to stand up against it. Well, Tony, you also we think about the other issues we face, such as the attack on prayer in public schools. That's also an assault on what parents teach their children about prayer. Because when a school administrator or activist comes in and says it's not right to pray, 
they're per, per, uh, purveying a message that's opposed to what a parent will right. often teach that child right. with abortion when they're trying to get uh, siphon kids off and separate them from parents and what they teach about the life issue. And we see this uh, consent for parental consent for abortion. These issues. This is an attack on the right. relationship between parent and child. And it's also sending a very subtle message that religion is bad and it stay is. away from it. And so it's stigmatizing religion. Before we run out of time here, David, what resources do we have for parents that can help them in this? Yeah, there's a, so we have our Biblical Worldview series uh, that addresses the issues of religious liberty. Um, but on TonyPerkins.com, there's other resources. Uh, we have the SPLC's Guide for Teaching Intolerance. Now, we didn't even touch on that, how the Southern Poverty Law Center is uh, worming its way into the classroom. Right. But there, there's a host of resources that FRC experts have put together that we can find on FRC.org and TonyPerkins.com. Um, let me give you, uh, Travis, give you the kind of the last word because we've got a big event coming up tomorrow. We'll let you uh, preview it for our, our listeners, something happening here in Washington. We'll talk about it tomorrow night, but what's happening here in the morning? Well, so we're going to have a couple of big events for us, Tony, tomorrow. One, um, the Senate Judiciary hearing on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Uh, we're going to hear testimony as to the need to protect uh, babies who survive abortions, provide them the same medical care as any other infant uh, who, who, um, who's in that situation. Our own Katrina Mosley is going to be testifying over there in a hearing led by Senator Ben Sass. Um, obviously, a lot of other work uh, that we're involved in this week in D.C., too. Also, we have our uh, True Blue uh, Award our, reception in the morning. Our True Blue reception where we um, we uh, give out awards to those who stood with us on life, family, religious liberty in, in Congress and, um, and and let them know that they've, give, they've uh, achieved 100% on our scorecard, achieving a perfect score with us when we, on the number of votes we've scored on all uh, three buckets of issues that I just mentioned. So we'll be uh, handing those out tomorrow morning, meeting with them, and, uh, and then I have uh, actually be chairing a um, USERF commission. So we've got a busy day here in the district tomorrow. Folks, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will as well. David, Travis, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 